Galatians, this morning you made the decision to come. (laughs) Staying in bed would have been so uh, inviting, but we are the faithful ones of God that love being in his house and worshipping him. So well done. You can turn to someone and say, good on you, you made it this week. (laughs) Hey, it's it's so important to be together, isn't it? Because... uh, we, we really encourage each other when we get together and we really spur each other on. So it's great that you're here and we just want to, uh, that's our, our cry today. Lord, hear our prayer, oh Lord God Almighty. Come bless our land, bless our lives, bless our church. God, help us to be those that live our lives every day in obedience to you because we love you and because we know your love. So welcome. If you're here for the first time or if you're visiting, we're just so glad that you're with us and we just want to say welcome. It's great that you're here. And our prayer and our hope this morning is that as you meet here, you will come to know more about God and what he wants of your life. And we pray that you'll meet other people and that you'll be able to get to know people as well. This, this morning, we have about 50, 60 of our uh, women on the girls' getaway. So they're um, over at the Hume Res- Late Hume Resort. And uh, word just from Mandy last night was that everyone's having a great time and um, they're doing really well. And if you're a husband, you know, Phil was just saying to me before, he was just thinking as he was getting ready this morning with, you know, with just Ben... And imagine if you had like three kids and you were having to come today with them yeah. as well. So if that's you, well done, guys. That's the way to go. And I don't know whether God's just worked it out this morning, but we're talking about how to deal with anger. So when we've got all the men here, maybe, I don't know. No, we all need to hear this word. Um, just the news sheet is, is a great... Um, way of communicating with one another in our church and just love you to keep uh, reading it through. If you're a leader in our church, this uh, Wednesday night is just going to be a real great night for us to get together. It's, it's planned to be a night where you will learn more about what it means to, to use the gifts that God has given you to help his church, our church, continue to be effective in all that we do. Come along, be encouraged. Um, Another big step, which I'd just love you to consider, is whoever you are, uh, whatever you do, you might not be in a particular ministry at the church, but you might be in a small business or you might be doing something um, in your week-to-week life which could help. The Global Leadership Summit is just a great opportunity to grow as a leader. And uh, last year, Gail, Phil and I and many others from our uh, church went to the Global Leadership Summit and I remember just being with Gail and Phil and, and each of the sessions were just overwhelming and we went away with lots to consider. So would you think about the Global Leadership Summit? Uh, early bird rates are coming up 3rd of August, so make sure you get in before then. Also, keep in mind our church administrator position. Uh, time's running out. We're in the last weeks of people who uh, would want to uh, pr- uh, apply. It actually finishes on June the 29th. So please, if you know someone or if you'd want to apply for that, please do that uh, quickly. Also, just to let you know that uh, we've, we've had some friends that have joined us from uh, the Congo and you may have got to meet Patrick and Raphael and they've uh, come from uh, Congo, Zaire. And I, I wonder if... Uh, Raphael, would you just like to stand there? Can you see Raphael, everybody? Let's welcome Raphael. 
Yeah, he's just been in Australia now for a little over a month, coming up to maybe two, two months now. And they've come as refugees and have come to settle in Australia. And I've just been uh, so thrilled to see the way they're making friendships and getting to know so many people amongst our church. But you can see that Patrick, who's Raphael's brother, has received a job offer and all he needs to do is be able to show that he can drive. You know, and he's, he's done a test and he's passed the test um, to mean that he can transfer his licence, but he just needs experience. So if you're brave, if you have a, a car and, uh, and a lot of patience and, and time available, then it would be great just to put your name in at the information desk after the service and you might be able to help Patrick, uh, be, be part of Patrick getting his first job in Australia. That would be a great opportunity. Um, this morning, we, uh, wanna, we brought before you just last week um, one, one thing that we're wanting your feedback on. Uh, it's been almost two years now since we've moved from having one service in the morning. We've always had you know, the evening service, but having one service in the morning to going to two morning services. And um, since we made that move almost two years ago, the deacons have constantly been uh, reviewing it and keeping an eye on the things that have happened uh, in regards to attendances and you know, just the, the pressure that it can put on people. And recently we've felt that the timing might be right for us to begin to talk together about whether it's time to consider moving back to one service. And uh, when we first went from uh, one service to two, the main issue was the difficulty of fitting everybody in to the one service. And over the past two years, we've also seen a slight but steady decrease in attendance to the point of possible, the possibility now where everybody could fit into the one service comfortably. On a normal Sunday, we don't have all our seats out right here and we could structure it in a way where we could fit a lot more people in still comfortably. Um, so what we've been uh, doing is we've been seeing more people now attending this service than the second one as well and often considerably less at the second and yet we still need to man you know, the car park, the kids' church, uh, all the, the worship team are on, every, uh, the people that serve um, tea and coffee. So we still need the same number of people, yet the attendances have changed. And so initially the idea was we would have even balance between the two. Um, so these are some of the reasons that we thought, hey, it would be good just to bring this issue before you and ask your considerations and whether you think it's a wise um move to stay as we are or to go to two services. So in your new sheet this morning, as we talked about last week, it, we, we've got a simple survey and you might like to just pull it out right now. And if you don't have one, it, it would be great just at this point to put your hand up and we'll get one bought to you. Is that okay? Are we able to, I'm just assuming we can do that. Alan's going to see if he can do that. Uh, if you don't have a pen too or a pencil, you could raise your hand as well and we could just make sure, because we're going to give you an opportunity just to jot some thoughts down right now. So if you have, there's a hand down here, Warren, a couple of hands around here. We're looking at the greatest sermon ever told. And of course, it's not one of mine. Uh, it's one that Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And if we open up to Matthew, and Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7 is Jesus giving a sermon on the mount. Let's turn there today and continue on as we work through the Sermon on the Mount together. 
And today we're looking with, at how to deal with anger. And this is what Jesus said as he taught the people around him. From Matthew 5, verse 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother had something, has something against you. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Uh, I think uh, all of us at some stage in our life have felt anger. And so this morning, as we come to this passage, why don't we uh, pray that God would give us insight and uh, understanding and that he would speak to us as we look at it together. Let's pray, shall we, church? God, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, we thank you that this morning as we've gotten out of bed and as we've made our way here this morning, it's, we've come with anticipation. God, we've come because for many of us, we've come before. And we know, God, that in this place, often when we're gathered together with your people, opening your word, singing praises, worshipping you, that you speak to us. Oh God, so many times in the past, you have helped us to make a decision, to change our behaviour, to think differently on an issue. And God, we're excited this morning because we know that you want to make us more and more like you. You want to change our hearts. And God, as we have read your word saying that, hey, murder is wrong, that even anger is wrong, we we start straight out and say, God, would you help us to understand what you're saying, to help us to live in a way where uh, we're dealing with things in the way that you would have them be dealt with. Oh, God, speak to us. We're listening this morning. We, our hearts are soft and we want to obey you with all that we have. God, we want to pray for so many uh, people that are at the women's girls' getaway. God, we pray for a real time of great blessing there this morning. God, we pray that as Maggie speaks and as they share in communion, as they finish reflecting on the things that they've shared together in the weekend, that you would just really minister to them. God, would you help them come away knowing their incredible worth as people who love you and know you. 
God, we pray that as they come back, they would be able to really make a continued impact in our church. And God, that you would continue to use the women there and the things that you've taught them this weekend. God, this morning, we just want to thank you for this community, this family, this church that you are building. God, thank you this morning for kids in little kids' church and their, and their teachers, kids in junior kids' church and their teachers, and kids in kids' church and their teachers, and those that are in the creation and looking after our, our kids. God, we just thank you. Would you continue to mould and shape our children's hearts, we pray. Help them to live the lives that you've called them to live. God, for our teachers, would you help them to be reminded of the benefit and importance of teaching children? And God, as parents and those who are uncles and aunts or grandparents, help us to never miss the opportunity to show a great example to younger people and to teach them and to encourage them. Oh God, this morning, that's where we sit this morning. Your children wanting to be taught. Our hearts are open. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder um, if you remember events last Monday morning and um, receiving the news. I remember being shocked as I uh, read about events that had occurred in Melbourne at about 8am Monday morning, how um, an outlaw hell's angel, Christopher Wayne Hudson, um, allegedly uh, began a brutal attack on a woman at a nightclub um, that left her unrecognisable and unconscious. And then just 10 minutes later, um, witnesses uh, say that they saw the man dragging uh, another woman from a, a taxi and shots were fired. And uh, since that time, uh, from that time on, um, Christopher Hudson was wanted for allegedly shooting 43-year-old solicitor and father of three uh, Brendan Keeler, and we've seen, uh, you know, reports of his funeral taking place and the grief that their family have uh, experienced this week. And also, uh, he was wanted for shooting a 24-year-old model, Kiera Douglas, and also a backpacker, a Dutch backpacker called Paul De Ward, who was 25 years old, and they say just came within minutes of losing his life. His blood loss was so great. And um, there's just no, no way else to describe it, but murder is just horrible, isn't it? I mean, uh, bodies, the body lying on the cold ground in the middle of peak hour. And uh, everybody who saw those events, they've said, have just been traumatised by what they saw. So many people witnessing them at that time. And... Um, that someone would want to hurt another person violently um, disturbs us deeply. And uh, it's almost beyond belief when we hear that someone who was coming to help someone who was being hurt violently would be just killed by someone who didn't even know them. And when we think about that, we think that it's, it's absolutely no wonder that God in the Ten Commandments, in 
Exodus chapter 20 says, you shall not murder. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, taking someone's life in anger it was just strictly uh, forbidden by God. They knew it. They knew the laws. They knew uh, what God had required. And I found myself reading about Christopher Wayne Hudson this week and thinking, wow, oh, God, I'm just so glad I don't have that kind of rage and that kind of anger um, that leads to killing. You know, I found myself thinking, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not caught up in the kind of lifestyle that he was, uh, seemed to be caught up in, where, you know, standing over people and violence was just a part of the way he's been living. And yet, you know what? Jesus would come alongside of me and would say, don't you think that you can stand there self-righteously, Jonathan? Because murder springs from attitudes in the heart. Anyone who is angry, Jesus would say, is guilty too. And you're going to be held account for that anger. You're going, to, you're, going to hold, you're going to be held accountable before God. And for many, us, many of us in this church this morning, you know, anger is just beneath the surface. It's just sitting there. And it jumps up unexpectedly. Um, sometimes when someone ignores us, up it comes. Or when someone tries to control us, or when someone says hurtful words to us, or when someone cuts us off while driving, or jumps in front of us in the queue at the registers, anger seems to just lie beneath the surface. And at times we find ourselves snapping. We find ourselves out of control, saying things we regret, hurting people. Sometimes there are people... And, and maybe some of us that start to physically hurt people. And we've seen this week how anger can skyrocket <coughs> to this point where people are lying dead on the ground, a whole life destroyed. <coughs> so for all of us, the question is, how do we handle anger today? How can we handle it? What can we do? What, what can we do with anger? Jesus would say, hey, don't think just because you've mur- you haven't murdered that you're in the clear. Even anger, even anger is destructive towards followers of Christ. And he would say, I'm calling you, my followers. I'm calling you to deal with anger in a godly way. You see, Jesus is speaking to those who gathered on the, around him on the, on the mountainside. He had his disciples closest to him who'd made the climb up the mountain and were gathered around him. And off in the distance were interested people listening. Uh, Here's the word of God handling the word of God. You know, the one who was there when creation came into being is now speaking to people there. This was the greatest sermon ever told. This was God's word in the hands of the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he spoke 
with authority from God because he was God. He began, you remember, telling them about the traits, the attitudes, the behaviours of those who are truly blessed, those who are his followers. He, he explained that these people, though, would be persecuted. Their influence, people would respond to their, their actions by trying to hurt them and hate them. And he said, but you know, you're going to make an influence on them too because you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world and you're going to make a difference as you live here on this earth. And then Jesus said to them, as people were wondering, what is he, where's this authority coming from? He said that he'd not come to do away with the law, but he'd come to fulfill it. And that all the law had looked forward to, uh, the law, all the promises that it had, all the rules for purity in the settings that it was, and all the laws that God had spoken through the prophets and through the Old Testament looked forward to him coming. And he would fulfill all of that. He'd come to fulfill it, not to do away with it. And so with matchless authority, Jesus has made himself the pivotal point of history just in the last passage. And now in the passage that we come to today, Jesus addresses another problem. He can't assume that his listeners, as they are hearing, have heard the content of the Old Testament in its true way. You see, he can't assume that what the people think was in the Old Testament actually was because at that time, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law regarded certain oral traditions, you know, verbal things that were spoken as being equal with the authority of Scripture. And therefore, some of these oral traditions had come to contaminate Scripture as well in the minds of the people. And they were believing things with the same authority as the Scriptures had. And there was confusion. They, they weren't aware, but they were thinking. They were living the way God had wanted them to. And so for the rest of chapter 5, if you have it open in front of you, there's six blocks of material that follow. And in each of these blocks, Jesus is saying something like this. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And look what he's going to address, just if you look at the and today, murder. You've heard these things about murder, but I tell you. Adultery, you've heard these things, but I tell you. Divorce is coming up, you've heard, but I tell you. Oaths, an eye for an eye, the way that we get revenge and love for your enemies. And he's going to take the things that they'd heard that were, uh, had been contaminated by the oral traditions and the things that the, the scribes and Pharisees were adding to the law. And he's going to say, this is what you've heard, but this is what the scriptures really teach. This is what it means. So he's not doing away with the law, but he's saying what you've added is wrong and this is what it means and this is the pure intention of the law. With me on that? Good, good. Now, um, in other words, right here, Jesus in this rest of the chapters is concerned with two things. Overthrowing the erroneous traditions and indicating the authority, authoritatively the real direction towards the law headed. I think today what Jesus was doing right here and he's going to do in the next five 
six sections of this chapter is so important for us today because I think there's some oral traditions that are going around at the moment. You know, I think there are organised religions that actually seek to add to the scriptures more than what was there and treat these added things as equivalent to scriptures. You know, we have uh, uh, people like the Jehovah's Witnesses who, who have their Watchtower publication which carries the same kind of authority and on par with the Bible, which they have their own version, which kind of is the New World Translation, and they've sort of changed the, the translation so that it matches them. You know, I think we'll look today at, and Gar mentioned a few weeks ago, about The Secret, you know, this great selling uh, book and DVD things that are just storming booksellers and places to, to get them. And it says that the, the, the secret says that the law of attraction has travelled through the centuries to you. And it means that people's feelings and thoughts uh, attract real events in the world into your life. It's a new age teaching that says there is a universal intelligence that exists beyond uh, and that responds to our desires. So this uh, unclear universal being that is waiting to respond to our thoughts and so we can think ourselves into being different. And Jesus would stand equally as strongly against that as he would against the Jehovah's Witnesses teaching, as he would against the Dalai Lama who might just say peace is lovely and everything is fine and everything is good and there is no, uh, be a nice person. That's the main thing. It can also happen today with us even in our church. I mean there are popular Christian authors who sometimes can take the authority, the place of the authority of scripture. You know what I mean? We we tend to love the teaching of a particular person more than we love the Bible itself. And Jesus would have none of it. He would say, no, no, no. We've got to get back to, to the scriptures and we've got to understand the full meaning of them and we've got to wrestle with them and we've got to find out what it's meaning and don't just accept it from other people or other teachers or other people. You understand it. You wrestle with it. So let me say that Jesus would say to you and I, Moments spent studying God's word. Looking through the Bible to see what it says on anger. Finding out about how you can live in every way area of your life is time that is not wasted. It's time that uh, we desperately need to be doing as Christians every day of our life. And so Jesus says in verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, the Pharisees had taught that murder consists of taking someone's life. It was the action. It was the event. It was the uh, thing that you did. And as long as you didn't 
actually murder someone, you were right. It was right. So you could avoid, as long as you didn't kill someone, that was it. And that was great. You could stand before God and say, I'm right. I've obeyed that commandment. Like today, a murderer would be brought before the courts and punished severely. But Jesus said that the commandment extended not only to the act itself, but to the internal attitude behind the act. Of course, murder is wrong. But the anger prompting the act is also as wrong as plunging the knife in. A mere literal avoidance of murder does not get to the heart of the problem, Jesus is saying. The God who sees in secret is affronted. He's, he's upset not only by the fruit, murder, but by the root, hatred. And Jesus condemns all selfish anger. The Bible is clear that anger is forbidden. Your, your anger, says James, um, does not produce the righteous life that God desires. That's James chapter 1 and verse 20. And Paul uh, orders us and those reading the book of Colossians, he, he, he orders us to put off all anger and wrath and malice and slander. Colossians 3 and verse 8. So Jesus says to them, don't think that just because you haven't murdered someone, you're in the clear. Even anger, which attacks people, is destructive to followers of Jesus and it must be dealt with constructively. Jesus goes on and makes the same point here. He says, and he wants them to see that it's more than just don't murder because you might get in trouble with the civil authorities. He kind of saying, Raka here, the word, this was an expression of contempt. Uh, it was a, 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 an expression that was used by angry people to put someone really down, to really have a go at them. And, and he says, it's basic meaning, Raka, the word, it means you worthless fellow, you, you empty head, literally, you know. Um, it was so strong that its use could get, get you convicted before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was the council which ruled over Jewish internal affairs. There were 70 people that ruled that were in the Sanhedrin. And um, in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, it said that the local courts were to be established in every town, and these courts had the power even to inflict capital punishment. So the Jewish people would not allow any Jew to be treated with contempt by another Jew. So saying raka was a, a serious offence that could be uh, you'd be brought before the Sanhedrin. And for them, it just seemed to hang on the word, Raka. You know, if Je for, for Jesus, though, it sort of hinged on the attitude behind the word. Look, Jesus said, you know, may, you may have laws for, uh, that stops anyone from using this word, this term, but I tell you that even if you're using the lesser term like fool, God sees it serious enough to have you thrown into hell. You know, the word fool means uh, 
not someone who's just silly, like we would use it today, you know, you silly person, we say fool. Um, but it, it has a moral, had a moral connotation in those days. You fool, you foolish person before God. You know, you ungodly person too. See, in Psalm 14 and verse 1, we're told, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. This uh, man was a moral fool. He lived in a moral life and he needs to hope that there is no God because if there is, he's in trouble, you know. So when Jesus says that we're not to call anyone a fool, he's not thinking in terms of um, casting aspersions upon their mental ability. You know, they're just a, a bit silly. He's thinking that we're saying that they're immoral in their character. Uh, it was wrong to use this one term, raka, for the Jews, but quite a right to go around destroying someone's person reputation. No, says Jesus, that's not, you're missing the heart of the law. If you speak badly about another one, you have committed a heinous crime. I mean, put it on the front page of the newspapers. You uh, are in, you've done a horrible thing. And the attitude of someone who calls someone racker is the same as someone who calls someone a fool. So don't try and separate them or pull them out. To say one is wrong and it's not the other just doesn't make sense. What Jesus is doing here is he's lifting the stakes on people that have tried to minimise the, the law to just this one act. He's saying, no, 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 this is, this is also you know, punishable you know, before the Sanhedrin. And this too, if you say this word fool, you're in dangers of the fires of hell. And he's saying, it matters how you treat other people in your anger. He wants us to see that it's not only the staying within the letter of the law of the land. It's not just the civil authorities that we need to be concerned with. It's a matter um, that comes from the heart. God is concerned and we should be too. Now, I just want to pause for a moment to just notice something that I'm sure many of you notice already and I think we need to address it, that Jesus got angry. Did you, did you no, notice that? There's lots of times when Jesus got angry and um, it's important, the, the type of anger that I think we need to notice, there's a type of anger that destroys, that evidences itself and destroys the other person. You know, racker, you know, or fool, or, um, you, know, you know, and it ends up in violence or, or hatred or killing someone. That's a kind of anger that, that spills out. But Jesus, when he was angry, it was a different kind of anger. It was a, an, an anger that addressed the problem, not the person. It addressed the issue at stake, but didn't destroy the one in whom the problem existed. You remember Jesus getting, uh, it says, the little children wanted to come to him and, and the disciples stopped them, you know, from coming to him. And it says Jesus was indignant. You know, now, indignant is a strong, strong word. He was deeply angry. And you know what he said? He didn't go, you stupid disciples. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. But as such belongs the kingdom of heaven. 
He addressed the problem directly. He affirmed the people for who they were, but he showed them, he told them what he was unhappy with. He handled his anger in a way that was still affirming the people he was addressing and still showing respect and love to them, but dealing with the issue. You remember Jesus in the temple? Uh, he came in and saw all the money changes and people you know, bartering and using all the selling goods and everything around in there, and it, he went away. And he made a, a strap and he got it all ready and he came back in. And he didn't go there and start whipping the people. Did you notice that? Or tell them they're complete. He, he was angry, wasn't he? <laughs> he turned over the, the tables. He addressed the problems that were happening and he was, he, he was yelling out, saying to them exactly, you have made this house a den of robbers and thieves. And, and people remembered, zeal for God's house would consume him. But he was directly dealing with the problem and trying to, just, you know, to, to stop that, not attacking the individuals and the people. Do you know, um, when we're angry... Uh, and I, th- I think that being angry uh, is, a, is, a, is a healthy part of being a Christian. Let me explain what I, what I mean. The right kind of anger handled in the right kind of way is a blessing for Christians. You know, in Proverbs 6 and verse 16 to 19, it says what, the things that God hates. And do you know what? I think for Christians, they're the things that we should hate too. We should be angry at things like this. But we should, with our anger, we should deal with it in the right way. See, in Proverbs 6 and verse 16 to 9, it says that God hates arrogance, that he hates lying, that he hates innocent people being hurt, that he hates harmful schemes, that he hates evil practices, uh, telling lies about others, and things that stir up dissension among people. If we didn't hate those things, we wouldn't be the kind of godly people that we are. It is right for Jesus to hate the fact that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were talking about oral traditions that were wrong and he wants to address it. And sometimes we can tell our godliness by the things that we hate. Yeah, you with me on that? You know, we've got to hate immorality. We've got to hate injustice. We talked about the God who hates injustice But it's what we do with that that is so important. And Jesus, uh, whenever he dealt with hatred, he he dealt with it in a way that addressed the issue directly and didn't attack the individual. The end result was that Jesus hung on a cross with people, you know, yelling at him, completely treated unjustly. And yet he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He continued to love those who hated him. But he continued to stand for what was right. I think when there are things that are wrong, we need to stand up for them. But we never need to attack the person. Uh, We always need to do it in such a way that is going to keep relationship in fact, build relationship while we address the issue that is wrong in a clear, strong way. So Jesus, the great teacher that he was, would not say these things and not give us practical, practical examples 
on how we should live. So he continues on, he says, in effect, we must make the wrong right. Uh, It says in 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go, first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now, in this first picture here, Jesus wants us to think in terms of having arrived at the great altar in the temple at Jerusalem um, with, with the sacrifice. You've, you've come there to, to get ready to sacrifice. Now, his uh, speakers were quite some distance from Jerusalem and so they would have had to travel to there. And this kind of thing, offering your sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem, wasn't something that happened every day. It was a big deal. And they were getting ready for this very special moment. So it was normal to have your family that would accompany you when you went to the temple and an animal would have to be purchased for the sacrifice. And a person, you didn't just walk casually into the temple, you know, and just uh, drop by or anything. It was a big deal. It was a huge place. And upon arriving, you would go firstly, you'd have to cross the court of the Gentiles and then on into the court of women And this would be as far as your wife could go. She couldn't go any further. So you'd say goodbye and you continue on from there into the court of of men and finally you would reach the priests and uh, you'd reach where the priests stood at the altar, where the altar stood. And there you would have an audience with a priest. A priest would be before you and uh, you'd explain to him the nature of your sacrifice You'd tell tell them why you were coming and what the sacrifice you were offering. And then Jesus says, even if you've got right through all these places and you've come right down on this very important day and you're standing right before the, the priest and you remember that you have someone has something against you, you've got to go and sort it out right then and there. Right then and there. This is heavy stuff. This is heavy teaching for those that were listening to Jesus and for us there. Jesus is saying, you've got to abandon the animal right there when you've made it here and you've talked to the priest. And this is an unheard of thing. Can you imagine what it must have been that you'd have to sort of go back out, put down the thing and just explain briefly to the priest, you know, sorry, I can't offer uh, this offering now. And then Right in the midst of this most important thing, you'd have to walk out and you'd have to go back through the, through the court of, of, of men and then back to your women, your wife who was waiting for you. And she'd say, wow, that was quick, honey. What's going on? And, and you'd go, well, you know, actually you haven't given the sacrifice yet. You, what? You, what? you haven't given the sacrifice? Quick, go back. Well, I just got to go and have a word with, you know, Bartholomew, you know, or whoever it was. It was embarrassing. This was something that was uncomfortable, embarrassing and inconvenient. And yet Jesus is saying, this is so important. It's so important, the relationships that you have with other people, that reconciling with them can't wait. It's, it's, it's not something that you can just find up an excuse that, you, that this is the most important day of the year and you've got your sacrifice and you've already come through the temple and your wife's waiting, the priest is there and let's just forget it. No, you're saying, no. Being in good relationships with people is so important that what I want you to do is put down your sacrifice, go 
and seek to reconcile with your brother. Be reconciled and then come back and offer your gift. And you know, why would that be so important? Because if you have anger or someone has anger against you, you could be in danger of the fires of hell. And so could they. And this is a huge issue. So deal with it, Jesus says. Oh, how often we delay, don't we? So often we kind of think, oh, it doesn't really matter, uh, you know. Um, I'll still be able to worship God, won't I, God, if I am still in anger with my brother and wanting to hurt him or haven't figured things out there. Uh, It'll still be all right even though I know that I've that they're angry at me and yet I've just not been wanting to meet with them. It doesn't really matter to you, God, whether I worship you now or whether I go that first or come here. And God's saying, how can you? You see, you're still on the externals. You're still thinking that if you don't murder, you're right. Or if you haven't said racker, you're right. I'm more, I'm more concerned with your heart. So go and do it straight away. You know, I remember as a kid seeing someone miss the communion and I remember asking Dad, you know, that guy's a really godly guy. Why is he missing communion? And, you know, Dad said, well, it might be that he's got something that he's got to work out with someone else. And I thought, why doesn't he go and work it out? You know, because sometimes you can read this and go, well, I won't go to church. <laughs> I've got stuff that I haven't worked out. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not an excuse to stop going to worship. It's a call to you to work it out. That's where the emphasis is. Go now. Go and figure it out quickly so you can come back and have an open heart before God. I'm passionate for hearts that are surrendered to me, that are in relationship with me and are working things out with other people. There's an urgency about what Jesus was saying. There's an importance about it. And at stake are the fires of hell. And he's saying, deal with it quickly so you can get back into right relationship with me and depend on me. Last thing Jesus says here is that we must make things right immediately and we must do everything that we can to avoid... um, unfairly, you know, doing things out of our pride or out of our wanting to exact revenge and justice. And What happens here is some matters, uh, settle, it says in verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court and do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have made the last penny, uh, paid the last penny. Uh, I, I think what's happening here is there's a sense of urgency in this story. The other thing is this is an adversary. It's not a brother here like in the other one. Uh, this is an adversary, an enemy, someone who's taking you to court. Maybe you haven't paid a bill. Maybe you are behind in your payments and you know he's taking you and you're thinking, well, I'm not going to pay if he's going to take me to court. And you might be holding back and saying, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. And, and Jesus is saying, if there's any way you possibly can, settle the issue quickly. Deal with it quickly. 
Don't hang on. Don't let your pride, your arrogance, don't let your anger to, to block this reconciliation if there's any way. You know, I, I, I read this and there are other passages in the scripture and, and I think, does this mean that we should never go to court, you know, that we should never, um, you know, we should, and I think basically what it's saying is avoid it at all costs, you know. If there's any way you can avoid it, do avoid it. But there are right times to go to court, aren't they? When there are things that are just and fair that need to be helped, when people are oppressed and hurt. I remember um, in previous church when I was in Dandenong, um, there was a, a, a young guy and uh, he, he would just start late at night to ring me on the phone and uh, he would start yelling at me and abusing me and uh, he would make threats and got to the point where I said, we're not answering the phone, honey. We're just going to leave it on the answering machine. You know, sometimes we'll come in, there'd be six or so phone calls and, and messages on the answering machine and they would become like, man, you look out if I see you, I'm going to get you. And, you know, some of them were threats about my physical well-being. And I was thinking, God, look, I just need to love him. I need to try and, and do that. So I would talk to him about it in the next few days when he's a bit sober and he wasn't as lonely and he was there again and I'd try and talk with him and work and pick him up and bring him to small group. You know, and then one night I picked him up and took him to our small group and on the way he started yelling at me and going mad. So I said, well, I'm just taking you home, you know. I, I don't, if you're going to be yelling, we've just got to go back home. So I took him back home and then... Uh, again, we tried to work it out, but it seemed to just get worse and worse. So there was a deacon. I asked a deacon to go and talk to him, and they spent time with him as well. But the escalation occurred, and it got to a point where he said, you know, man, uh, I'm, I, he rang up one day. He said, I'm coming now. I'm going to get you. you know, and so I thought, I got out of the car. I, I got out of my office, shut the door, took the car, went home. And fortunately, he didn't drive, so he just turned up at the office and um, and, and found that I wasn't there and um, he, he went. And um, whew, it was a good one, got away. And I thought, this is getting pretty full on, but at this point it's all about me and I've got to keep trying to reconcile some way if I can. But then he started to say things like, I'm going to come and you know, burn your house down. You know, I'm going to do things to your family. And then he started to say, one Sunday morning I'm going to come in, I'm going to go sick in there. And I just started to think, Imagine if he did, and I knew. I've I got to do stuff that's going to protect our people, protect our family and do that. So I stood at the courts and sat there with people that were taking interventions, about, interventions that had taken interventions on them and they were getting back at them and <laughs> Pastor Jonathan was sitting there like this. <laughs> and, but I, I st- the, the judge said to me, how long would you like this intervention to go for? And I said, oh, three months. And they laughed at me. They said, what are you doing this for? We'll give you a year, you know. But all the time I was trying to see if there was any way I could avoid this and still love the guy and still work through the issue. But in that case, there wasn't. And I think Jesus is saying to us, you know, don't let your anger be such that you're trying to get revenge and unnecessarily hurt people, but try and deal directly with the issue and try and help people that are angry with you to not be angry with you. Do everything you can to avoid it. One of the things that we just found when we come to the end of this passage is just a deep sense of, I get angry. Does that mean I'm in danger of the fires of hell? 
And I think what God would say to us all the time through this message is, it's not about just doing the right things to the letter of the law. It's about giving your whole life to God. And Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, and he said, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the only reason that we can find full salvation, uh, forgiveness, eternal life, is not through trying not to be angry. It's through receiving the love of Jesus. And because he loves us and has forgiven us through his death on the cross, his Holy Spirit comes into our lives and gives us the strength and empowers us and helps us each and every day to try and live in the way that he calls us to. But when we find ourselves getting angry, Jesus says, deal with it quickly and seek to reconcile in this passage. And he always is saying, come to me for forgiveness so that you can start afresh and anew as part of my kingdom. So I want to say today, do you have anything against other people? Today's a day. Don't put it off tomorrow. Don't say, I've already paid for the sacrifice. I'm already here. And my life's waiting. It's going to be embarrassing. Jesus said, it's not an excuse you can make. If you're in the midst of trying to take people to court or get the last you know, extract out of them or make your kids pay for things they've done for you or make other people pay for the way they've mistreated you, Jesus is saying, just don't have any part of that. Address the problem directly and lovingly. Affirm the people constantly. But don't find yourself getting angry because you could be in danger of the fires of hell. Cling to Christ. Look to him every day and live a life that brings glory to him in every way. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, we just ask for your strength this week as we go out. Help us uh, in times when we're tempted to get frustrated and to get angry at the wrong things. Oh God, would you speak to us and help us to to really look to you for the courage to know what is the right things to get angry at. And God, we pray that you would just help us to deal with things quickly. Today, some of us just need to go home and and pull out the the pen and and start writing a letter. God, some of us need to make a phone call. God, some of us need to make a a meeting where we can just sit down with someone and just, just really say we're sorry or really articulate clearly the ways in which someone has hurt us and, and to try and just show them lovingly uh, where there's been wrong. Oh, God, we just thank you that because you have forgiven us and those who have come and put their trust in you have you living within us, your Holy Spirit, helping us to live in the way that you call us to. And today as we go, we want to live yielded and surrendered to you, empowered by you. I'm being salt and light as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I would just, in these moments, love you to take your blue cards out there in your...